In the closing chapters of C.S. Lewis's final Narnia story, The Last Battle, the characters arrive at what we would call heaven. Lewis calls it the new Narnia. And as, as they try to take in their surroundings, as they try to take in this, this new world, they find that the depth and the beauty of the place grows beyond their comprehension as it goes on without end. There, there is an endless world of places to see and things to experience. And, and in the story, the fawn, one of the characters, remarks about the place they find themselves in, that the further up and the further in you go, the bigger everything gets. He says that the inside is larger than the outside. It was more than they even thought. And then the unicorn says, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. Come further up and further in. I think what Lewis is depicting in this scene is that one of the great glories of heaven, of the new heavens and the new earth, is that it will be this limitless exploration of God and his works. That, that when we find ourselves in the new creation, that we will discover that it will never grow dull. It will never grow old. That actually used to be one of the things that freaked me out about heaven. When I was a boy, I'd try to think about eternity and I would think about this ethereal, like, spirit realm, and it freaked me out because that didn't sound fun at all. I think what Lewis is depicting is much closer to the biblical picture, which is a new creation. A new creation that could never be exhausted. That there will be more and more of God to find and enjoy every day in the new earth. Every day will be further up and further in. But this, this picture of, of, of our future, this promise of our future, is also an invitation to our present moment. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. The old has gone, and behold, the new has already come. The new creation is here in Christ. Jesus arrived declaring, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. It's upon you. And so this opportunity to go further up and further in doesn't start when we get to heaven. It actually starts the moment we come to faith in Jesus. That the reality is that heaven has broken into earth now and that we can go further up and further into Jesus as believers. This was really the thrust of the writer of Hebrews as he took up pen and wrote his theological treatise. He wanted to take his readers further up and further in to Jesus to help them begin to explore the amazing realities of who Christ is and what he had done what he had accomplished for them in his life and suffering and death and resurrection and ascension. The whole letter is an exploration of, of how Jesus fulfills the hopes and the pictures and the promises of the Old Testament. 
In chapter 1, the author helps us to see that, that Jesus is God's final and definitive word. That he's God's final revelation to mankind of what God is like, of who he is. That in chapter 2, he's better than the angels. In chapter 3, he's greater than Moses. In, in chapter 4, he's our true and our final rest. In chapter 5, he's our chosen high priest. In chapter 6, that he's our soul's anchor, the one who grounds us and takes us into the Holy of Holies. In chapter 7, that he is the fulfillment of Melchizedek. In chapter 8, that he is our new covenant. In chapter 9, that he's a mediator between God and man. In chapter 10, that he is our sanctification. In chapter 11, that he's the hero of our faith. In chapter 12, that he's a, a consuming fire. And in chapter 13, that he is our great shepherd. The entire, the entire letter of Hebrews is a deep dive into all that Jesus is for us and, and how he fulfills the expectations and the promises of the Old Testament. And in the section of the letter that we're focusing on this morning, the author is wanting to draw our attention to how Jesus is a priest like Melchizedek. I didn't sneeze. It's a dude's name. Melchizedek is this enigmatic figure that, that shows up in Genesis chapter 14. As you're reading along the, the biblical storyline, you have creation and then you have the flood and then you have God choosing Abraham. And then there's this weird story in Genesis 14 where Abraham's brother-in-law is in trouble. And Abraham goes to, to rescue him. And on the way back from, from this rescue, he passes through the town of Salem. And, and, and Salem means peace. And, and there's this guy that comes out named Melchizedek. And it tells us that Abraham paid a tithe of, of all the spoils that he had. To Melchizedek, whose name means king of righteousness. And he's gone. And he doesn't show up again until Psalm 110. Much later in the biblical storyline where David, prophesying about the Messiah, says of the Messiah, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. It just it sort of comes out of nowhere. And then it's gone again. And there's no more mention of Melchizedek until the writer of Hebrews brings him back up. And, and what the writer of Hebrews says is that Jesus is a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. He's quoting Psalm 110 and he's saying Jesus is, is going to be a priest like Melchizedek. Now this is a strange statement if you know anything about the Mosaic covenant. Because under the Mosaic law, only Levites could be priests. You had to be a descendant of Levi to serve as a priest. But here, what the author of Hebrews is saying is that Jesus' priesthood doesn't find its legitimacy in his descendancy from Levi, but rather in a pattern that Melchizedek set forth all the way back in Genesis 14. Melchizedek is, to use a theological term, a type. He's a pattern. He's a picture of a greater priest who is going to come. A greater priest with a greater righteousness who would bring a greater peace. And in the chapters that follow, what the author is going to attempt to show us is that Jesus is this priest and how it is so that he is the fulfillment of Melchizedek. But don't miss the point. The main point the author is making here 
is that there's a lot he wants to say about this. And some of it is, is difficult to explain. What, what he's saying is, I want to take you on a deep dive. I want to go deep into the Old Testament with you. I, I want to get nuanced for a minute, if you'll let me. Maybe as I was just kind of going through my explanation of Melchizedek, you could sort of feel your eyes starting to roll back in your head. And, and that's exactly what the writer senses as he writes to his recipients. His desire is to, to take them deep into Christ, to go further up and further in. And he feels like that desire is threatened by their stunted spiritual growth. When I was a boy, this is before Amazon was a thing, there were these things called brick and mortar stores where you actually went to a store to buy things. And one of those stores was Toys R Us. It was my favorite store as a, as a kid. At one point in time, Toys R Us was an empire. And they had really clever marketing. Do you remember the kitschy song in their commercials? I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. Toys R Us made you want to stay a kid forever. But the truth is, it'd be really weird if you walked into a Toys R Us and saw a 40-year-old man behaving like a 3-year-old, right? Strange. We just had Christmas. So fun to watch your kids open presents. Deacon's like at the peak, right? He's three. I mean, he, he gets it this year. He understands it. There are presents with his name on it under the tree. And he can't wait. But as soon as he opens a present, he's like, where's my next one? Where's my next one? He's a little bit like Veruca Salt in, in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, right? I want it now, you know? Like, that's how kids behave. It'd be really weird if, a, if an adult was behaving like Deacon, right? That'd be a little unsettling. There is this expected maturity that comes with age. And yet when it comes to our spiritual age, I wonder if some of us are still living like Toys R Us kids. That's the concern of the author of Hebrews in this section of the letter. He says he wants to take them into the deeps, but many of them have never learned how to swim and they're stuck in the shallows. In fact, I want us to notice this morning how the author actually cautions them about their spiritual immaturity. So we're going we're gonna to notice kind of four things that characterize spiritual stuntedness in this passage. The first one we, we find in verse 11, which is drift. He says, I have a great, we have a great deal to say about this. He's, he's talking about Melchizedek. And it is difficult to explain... Since you have become too lazy to understand. That have become is in the perfect tense. And it indicates that previously they were in a better spiritual condition. That there was a point in time in which they were, they were very open and eager to go deep. That there was a time when they were craving the word of God. But, but something has happened. They've, they've slacked off. They've, they've stopped pressing into God. Their devotion to Christ 
has waned. A shift has taken place. This makes me think of 1 Peter 2.2 where Peter says, Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up into your salvation. The NIV translates that word desire as crave. Crave this pure spiritual milk. Crave the word of God. Have you, ever, have you ever seen a newborn child when it's time to feed? Man, they mean business, right? A couple of you new moms are like, yes, I've heard that cry. Do you remember? Do you remember those first days when you came to faith in Jesus? When you first became a Christian? That sweet season when you just wanted more and more of God? When you were drinking in those basic truths of the faith. What the author is saying here is don't lose that zeal. Don't lose your hunger for God. Stuntedness is is marked by, by a drifting of the heart. It's marked by a lost appetite for the things of God. Notice what he says next. He says, we have a great deal to say about this, and it's difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. And that phrase, too lazy to understand, literally means you've become dull of hearing. Spiritual stuntedness is not only marked by a drifting, but also by a dullness. One commentator calls it a culpable negligence. It's a complacent disposition toward God and his word. The opportunity to grow was right there in front of them, and yet there is is a complacency in their approach to God. And this dullness is not due to a lack of intelligence. This isn't an IQ issue. This is is a lack of intentionality. They, They had become guilty of spiritual apathy. Maybe they had couched this in language of, I just want to keep my faith simple. Several years ago, I was at a conference where Pastor John Piper was addressing a stadium full of college students. And he was talking about this issue of, of spiritual apathy, of, of, of not wanting to go deep into God and, and, and deep into knowing God. And, and he said this. He, he said, sometimes I hear young people say, I just, I just love God. And I don't need all that theology. I don't need all that jargon and lingo. I just love him. And after a pregnant pause, in classic Piper fashion, he exclaimed, What is he, a doorknob? Do you get what he's saying? Do you get what Piper's saying? Sorry, I had to do my Piper impression there. He's saying that if you really love God, then you want to know something about God. This is a principle that holds true for for really any relationship. If you truly love something, you're not bored by it. You actually want to know something about that thing or that person. In fact, the more that you love someone, the more that you want to know everything about them. You ever been around somebody who's obsessed? You ever been around a Swifty? They're hard to shut up, aren't they? Why? Because they're obsessed. And their obsession drives them to know more. They want to know more. They read all they can. It's been said before that the opposite of love is not hate, it's apathy. It's dullness. 
blunted emotions toward God. This was the problem for these believers. They had become lazy in their knowledge of God. Their minds had become dull. And as a result, their affections waned. Friends, we have access to to more amazing resources to grow in our knowledge of God and his word than at any point in church history. Commentaries, books, podcasts, videos. Our problem with spiritual stuntedness is not a lack of resources. It is not a lack of access. It's a dullness of hearing. It's a culpable negligence. It's a spiritual apathy. This ties into the next thing that he says, verse 12. He says, although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the the basic principles of God's revelation. Again, you need milk, not solid food. This drift and dullness kept them in a state of dependency. They hadn't learned to feed themselves. Pastor Dehati Lewis describes what, what he finds in many churches as an orphanage mentality. He, he says, in, in, in many orphanages, you have a few overworked staff responsible for caring for a bunch of underserved children. And the entire operation is dependent upon a few individuals to take care of all the work and do all the things. There's little burden of responsibility placed on the orphans themselves to do anything. I think sometimes in church, it is tempting for us to view pastors and staff as the paid professionals who do all the work of ministry. And and certainly pastors have a unique role to play in the body of Christ, to to care for souls, to to shepherd the sheep. But the goal of the local church is not to be an orphanage. It's to be a body. It's to be a family. And in a house, in a healthy house at least, everyone has a role to play. And therefore everyone needs to be growing up and developing. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 says, And God himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the whole body of Christ until we all reach the unity of the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Paul says that God gave leaders to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Notice who's doing the work, though. Every saint. Every saint is doing the work of ministry. And notice the goal, that the entire body reaches maturity and spiritual health, unity in the faith. As a parent, I want my kids to grow and develop. In fact, I worry about them when they aren't developing on schedule because we want to see them progress and, 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 and be healthy. And the same ought to, tr- ought to be true regarding our spiritual growth and development. It would be worrisome if a four-year-old wasn't able to walk. We'd be concerned if our seven-year-old was still unable to eat solids. These would be clear indications that something was wrong. If I can risk a little bluntness, oftentimes in the church, what we have are four-year-old Christians still unable to walk spiritually. We have seven-year-olds unable to chew the solid meat of the word. There, there are people who have identified as Christians nearly their entire lives, and it, 
It's like the longer they go, the younger they become. They're, they're like Benjamin Button Christians. And this was the problem with these believers that the author of Hebrews is writing to. They, they had yet to take responsibility upon themselves to grow into a healthy contributor in the body of Christ, to, to grow up into their faith. And, and therefore, lastly, what we see is that they lacked discernment. They lacked discernment. Look at verses 13 and 14. He says, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. Solid food is for the mature, for those who, whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. This, this language of basic principles in verse 12 literally means ABCs. He's saying that you should be teaching others the truth of Christ by now, but you, you're still back on the ABCs. You're still in theological phonics. There's some discussion about what he means exactly by this message about righteousness, but it, it can translate as word of righteousness, and, and some argue that the most natural understanding of it is simply that it refers to the scriptures. And so what the author could be saying is that their spiritual laziness is resulting in a lack of spiritual and moral discernment. They, they don't know how to read the Bible and gain wisdom from it. They don't know how to work out the deeper, the deeper implications of the gospel for their lives. There's a song about this that says, don't, don't teach me about politics and government. Just, just tell me who to vote for. Don't teach me how to live like a free man. Just, just give me a new law. I don't want to know if the answers aren't easy. So just bring it down from the mountain to me. I want a new law. Just give me a new law. Obviously, there's sarcasm in this song. But it's dealing with our tendency to reject wisdom, to reject depth for the easy-to-follow steps. Just give me the four steps to a better. Just give me the six ways to be a healthier. Just, just bring it down from the mountain to me. I don't want to work for the answers. I don't want to know how to read the Bible and connect the dots and draw conclusions. Just tell me what I'm supposed to think, would you? In the education world, we use Bloom's taxonomy to differentiate between lower and higher level learning. And at, at the bottom of taxonomy is like, I'm, I'm getting a smile over here from Jen Hammond. Shout out to the teachers in the room. At the bottom of, of the chart is like comprehension and memorization, right? It's, it's simple regurgitation, basic info, true and false, multiple choice. And at the top is analysis and synthesis. In evaluation, this is processed information. It's, 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 it's essay questions. It's applied knowledge. And here what I think the author is saying to us is, guys, you're living down here in the true-false. Basic information. Basic memorization. I, I want you guys to be able to think deeply and to draw conclusions. I want you to be able to write essays about how Jesus is Melchizedek. You're still stuck in the ABCs. And I just wonder if, if any of these things ring true in your life. Have, have you drifted? I think it's healthy at years in to just do an evaluation of just where you're at. Listen, the goal this morning is not to browbeat you. It's not to guilt you or to shame you. But it is to help you look in the mirror to invite the Holy Spirit in, 
to do some assessment. Have you become dull? Is there a laziness that characterizes your pursuit of Christ? Are you too dependent on others to feed you spiritually? Do you lack discernment when it comes to God's word? As 2023 comes to an end, as we look ahead to 2024, I just wonder if this has been a year of moving further up and further in or if it's been a year where your relationship with God has sort of stalled out. I want you to receive this exhortation, this invitation from the author of Hebrews where he says to us, therefore let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual watchings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. This we will do if God permits. This list that the author gives us all have to do with sort of like conversion and like the first things of faith in Jesus. Turning from sin and trusting in Christ. This Language of teaching about washings is perhaps an understanding of baptism and what it means. This laying on of hands has to do with the receiving of the Holy Spirit. The resurrection and eternal judgment is is life after death. And, And there's a sense in which what the author is saying is, hey, we need to get beneath the surface of the gospel. Let's move beyond the youth camp, throw a stick in the fire, rededicate your life to Jesus Christianity. Let's go past seeing the gospel as fire insurance. Let's go past seeing it as a get out of hell free card. Let's go, let's go deeper. Let's see the richness and the beauty of all that Jesus is for us. Let's revel in all that he is for us. The idea here is not to leave the gospel behind, but to build upon it, to go deeper into it, further up and further into Jesus. Friends, listen to me. Heaven is going to be an eternal journey of moving further up and further into the glory of Jesus. So you might as well start now. Let's make 2024 a year of going deeper into Christ. As the psalmist would say, let us press on to know him. Let's not stay in the shallows. Let's push out into the depths where the glorious mysteries await us. Amen? Let's pray together.